Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 39 of That Gives Me Anxiety. Yeah, I finally get a haircut, so in the video version of this, I'm not going to look like a slob. I mean, I'll look less like a slob. <laughs> I still work from home all day and dress accordingly. Well, I've got a great episode lined up today. It's, it's a fear that uh, pretty much everyone has, right? Public speaking. I mean, if you don't have it, that's great. Good for you. But if you just Google, like, things that people are afraid of, public speaking is usually right at the top. Funny thing is, in some instances of my life, I'm completely fine with doing it. Like, if I'm giving a presentation at work, you know, not so bad because people probably aren't really listening. <laughs> you know, it's just, it is what it is. Or getting on stage and performing and providing, you know, I feel some butterflies, but I've learned to to channel that in a positive way. But other times I'm horrified, like when I record podcasts or the intro, outro, that whole part of it, I have to make sure that Jamie is nowhere near that she did, that I, I have to pretend that she's not listening or <laughs> just, I'm just so nervous because it's, you know, it's weird to hear between the walls that me making voices and you know I try a lot of things in here that I edit out because I cringe too much I, I like to keep it loose and, and see what happens so yeah I have to like psych myself up <laughs> that she might hear me uh, even though I'm upstairs she's downstairs but still I get nervous if I think that she's coming or something <laughs> but that's my own insecurities anyway to talk about public speaking I have on my good friend Colleen Carmody. You'll see I, I make a mistake calling her Colleen Deegan, her maiden name. I, I've known her since elementary school and, and she's a nurse practitioner in a NICU and has to give presentations on case studies and, and trends and just as the hospital sort of getting together and, and huddling up about different things that are popping up or could pop up and, and just so that they provide the best care that they can. But that could be pretty daunting presenting to a bunch of doctors. I also have on Rokita Johnson, who's a public speaking coach. She's someone that you can hire to work with you to improve your public speaking. Whether you're giving something like a TED Talk or you want to be able to talk up in meetings or whatever it is, right? To just get a little bit better at a skill that's scary. Or you don't want to be terrified. I mean, that's giving you some practice so you're not terrified. I mean, that's it's good stuff. So yeah, she gives a bunch of tips and, and ways to improve and ways to think about public speaking that I think will be really helpful and hopefully bring the anxiety levels down. But before we get there, I want to remind you, if you're liking the show, to please remember to rate and review it on whatever platform you're listening on, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. There's a lot of these little apps that I don't even, I don't know how people are finding this podcast on these unknown apps, but they are. And that's great. So if you feel so inclined, pop a rate and review on these little unknown podcast apps. <laughs> you can check the show out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, or YouTube. You know, you only want to listen to YouTube, watch on YouTube now. You can. Judge for yourself how my haircut looks. And if you're liking the show and you want to support it and support me, you can make a donation through the Buy Me A Coffee link, which is in the description wherever you're listening. 
So, all right, I'm excited to finally tackle a, a fear that a lot of us have and hopefully help people feel better about when they have to give presentations or whatever it is. At least it's nice hearing how we all share this fear. Ah, <sighs> yeah, bringing us together. Well, as always, thank you so, so much for listening and enjoy. Joining me now on the podcast, I have one of my best friends in the whole world, Colleen Deegan. Colleen, thank you so much for coming on. As I'm putting together the video, I'm realizing I referred to Colleen as Colleen Deegan, uh, when in fact, I mean, that's her maiden name, when in fact her real name now is Colleen Carmody. I was at the wedding. Uh, I've known the couple for a very long time. Uh, I was in the wedding party. <laughs> and I still messed up. Sorry about that. Colleen Carmody. Hello. <laughs> how, you know, I usually introduce people like how we know the person, but with you, it's like, I, there's so much more life where I know you versus when I don't. I mean, we know, yeah. know each other from like elementary school. Yeah. Yeah. Just it's growing up around, uh, what's the name of the neighborhood? It's funny that I'm like blanking on that. You know, I think it has a name, but I don't know what it is. It's just like this small corner of Massapequa that like people just brush off. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> just like corner galley adjacent yes exactly that's the name of it <laughs> yeah so yeah i'm really excited to have you on here today we're going to be talking about public speaking so i i think it's good for people to get a sense of of what you do for work and and when you might have to do public speaking at work I'm a nurse practitioner in a NICU, a level four NICU so it's like the highest level NICU there is and and what is a NICU just so people know Oh, a new neonatal ICU. So like babies that are having problems after um, preemies or any baby okay. that has an issue after it's born, basically. Any baby that's not completely fine comes to us, even if it's okay. just a little bit. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Anything less than that's such a like a anything less a than perfect call. will come to the NICU. Yeah. Okay. But that sounds like pretty stressful, right? It's like, I mean, what's more important than saving an infant's life? Yeah. I mean, I like it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just like a superhero. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. So when, so when do you do public speaking? So there's a lot of lectures and stuff because we're a teaching hospital. So there's residents and fellows and every day there's a lecture. And then occasionally they have us present at them or speak at them to do like case studies and stuff like that on certain patients that we've had. Mm -hmm. And they used to all be in person. Since COVID, some of them have been on Zoom like this. They're starting to transition back to in-person, so it's a little bit of both, but mm -hmm. it's a little less nerve-wracking when it's like this, but still, when you see all the people that are on there, sometimes it's scary. Yeah, I guess if it's like on the side, you can kind of like... You can see all the doctors it. and everyone that's listening, yeah. Yeah, as opposed to them being right in front of you. But who is who is the audience? Is it doctors, like students... Mainly doctors and other nurse practitioners, PAs, stuff like that. Man, I'd be so nervous because like, I'd be like, oh shit, they're going to find out I'm a moron. <laughs> well, that's, that's actually like a big thing. When you look up doing what we do, like one of like imposter that you feel like you're going to be found out. Yeah, imposter like, syndrome. Yeah. What I'm doing. <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So how do you battle that? I don't know. I, I hate when you're I have to do that stuff. <laughs> I don't think I battle it very well. Yeah you're basically you're describing 
like trends in the NICU or, or what are you presenting? Like case specific um, case studies? Case, so sometimes it's like a case study where something is on something that we don't see very often mm. and there's new research about it. Or sometimes it's just things that we see all the time that you're presenting a topic to like a resident or like a newer doctor that's still learning about the NICU. Okay. Like, um, like respiratory distress in the babies or like something that you would see all the time. But there's also sometimes that we do it on like a very abnormal case. Like we had a baby that had a blood clot in the leg and mm. had to have the leg amputated. So we did a whole presentation on that because you don't see it very often. Right. Well, it's like you have to be in, in what you do, like aware of anything that could possibly be wrong in the human body. Like that's just. It's actually amazing that anyone's born normal. Yeah, it's it's that many That's kids. How I feel. Really? Because you just Cause see we, so many we see things. all the abnormal things. So mm-hmm. it's like, oh, light day. <laughs> a couple <laughs> couple people that were born fine. And so what is this audience? I mean, they're they're taking notes. Sometimes uh, I guess if it's a lot of times the way it works is there's like, like I said, the attendings are the head doctors and they're they'll be on there and then you'll present whatever, and then there'll be like a question section where a lot of the attendings already know what you're talking about so they'll either be questioning you and what you're talking about or where your research came from or if it's a new topic or something unusual they'll just be kind of asking normal questions where the residents and the ones that are learning don't usually ask too many it's more of the people that already know what you're talking about which is what makes it more scary because it's like oh yeah well i don't need to teach them anything they they already know this they're just listening <laughs> to make sure i have all the right information yeah <laughs> do they ever give you like a like a standing ovation if it's like and here's colleen deegan she saved three babies from a blood clot the other week like, and they just like... no the, the lectures are so we don't we don't present that often it's every now and then and we kind of rotate it through because we all hate doing it but um okay <laughs> the fellows do it a lot and there's not they don't usually like have like a, a standing ovation about it it's more of like a topic presentation and then questions Mm -hmm. and arguments like people will start arguments back and forth about what they certain things that are like questionable or there's so much research on this and then i found research about this so it's that's it's like more of like a debate right that makes sense like way more sense than like them treating it like it's a hockey game just like yeah "Yeah, you saved that kid yeah (laughs) i mean if there's something in the moment when that happens they usually say it after you don't usually not usually during it like they'll come up to you after and be like oh that was really great or that you know oh nice (laughs) but in the in the lecture it's not really (laughs) that's got to feel good like a someone who's an expert just come up to be like love your work love what you did there yeah it feels nice (laughs) yeah absolutely well why do you think i mean other than imposter syndrome is that like mainly it that you feel public speaking is is nerve-wracking yeah, that's someone, I feel like that for me, like, I feel like someone else is going to know more about what I'm talking about than I do. And they're mm-hmm. going to be like, what is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember even in like English class, when you get called on to oh, read, like to read I the chapter. hated that. I yeah. used to count ahead to find out what my paragraph was. And I yes. was there and study. I didn't listen to anything else anyone was saying. Yeah. <laughs> I was so focused on my paragraph. <laughs> Well, especially like the pressure of that, right? Like in, in your adult life, you're presenting to doctors, but like in your childhood, like you're presenting to like people who are going to like be mean, right? No, and I bully you. <laughs> and like, I remember stumbling from time to time 
and and just people just like laughing out <laughs> like the teacher having to be like <laughs> you all stumble right. on a word and then forget it that's no it ever, no one ever does it yeah right <laughs> That's it. Well, for the listeners, I also interviewed Rokita Johnson, who's a public speaking coach, helps people improve their public speaking. And so uh, we have three clips with her. And so I think it's a good time to go to the first clip. So let me get this straight. In today's day and age, you're supposed to be drinking a ton of water, doing yoga, making sure you and your whole family is happy. Strike a good work-life balance, exercise, read books, watch movies, eat healthy meals, be a big part of your community, and get eight hours of sleep. (laughs) It's unrealistic. It's too much. Well, that's why there's Instacart to take a little bit off your plate or help put a little bit on your plate. Oh, I'm so sorry. Using Instacart, you search for all your favorite foods and, and items that you need from the grocery store, fresh produce, all your favorites, everything you want, and they deliver it to you. They go to the store and do your shopping for you. Just remove it from your to-do list, just with a few clicks, and you'll have your items delivered to your door in as fast as an hour. It's pretty quick. And through the link in the episode description, they're offering free delivery on your first order over $35. But you gotta make sure you click the link in the description. That tells Instacart that this show sent you and it helps support the show. And you can also take advantage of the free delivery. So yeah, be nice to yourself. Give Instacart a shot. Joining me on the podcast, I'm thrilled to be speaking with Rokita Johnson, who's a certified speaking cho- uh, who is a certified speaking coach. Oh my goodness. Rokita, I'm so excited to, to have you here with me. Thank you, Patrick. I'm so excited to be here as well on this Friday. Yeah. We are going to be talking about public speaking, which is something that causes a lot of people a ton of anxiety. And I'm sure as a speaking coach, you've seen you've seen people who are pretty shaken. Absolutely. Public speaking is still one of those fears that somehow always seems to make those top 10 fears lists that mm-hmm. comes out every year. Maybe it's not number one or number two, but it's usually somewhere on that list. It's just one of those fears that we have. It's it's scary to be on display, so to speak, in front of other people and think that, oh, if we make a mistake, they're judging me. So mm-hmm. it's, it's definitely still one of those fears. Usually it goes one and two with death, which is hilarious. That, uh, like the end of yeah. your life or giving a speech. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. What's, what's that old saying that people would rather be the person in the casket instead mm-hmm. of the person delivering the eulogy? That's yeah, so true. There, there's probably some truth to that. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of pressure that gets put on people delivering eulogies as well. It's like wrap up their whole life, make me cry, make me laugh. Like it's, it's a, it's a huge order. So yeah, I I understand the pressure there. Well, why do you, why do you think people are so nervous about public speaking? There's a few reasons, Patrick, not just one. Uh, I think the number one fear for a lot of people is fear of judgment. I am afraid that if I make a mistake, they're going to throw tomatoes at me, uh, which is (laughs) absolutely not true. The audience is waiting for me to just trip up. They want me to mess up somehow, which could be 
it cannot be further from the truth. The mm-hmm. audience wants you to do well. No one wants to waste their time. That's what I remind my clients. No one wants to waste their time when they're going to see a speaker deliver a presentation. They want to get value from whatever it is that you're talking about. They don't want to see a train wreck on stage. They don't want to see a speaker having a meltdown. That is not why the audience is there. They want to see you do well because they want to get the information that you do have. So no, the audience is not looking to tear (laughs) us apart on the stage. So that's the first one. It's judgment. Another reason is perfection. I think this is a little more with women, a little more so than men. Just wanting to deliver a flawless presentation, wanting to have a seamless execution. I don't want to hear to be out of place. I don't want to trip over a word. I don't I don't want to to blink out. Well, of course, no one wants to forget anything that they've said, but it's just these expectations that we put on ourselves that cause undue stress. So wanting to be perfect and you're never going to be perfect Mm -hmm. just for the record. That's not going to happen. (laughs) But even things like wanting to make sure that we don't bore the audience. That's also another reason that people get nervous. I want to make sure that I'm engaging them. I I don't want to see that glazed over look in their eyes. That's going to make me even more nervous up here. So that is a big fear as well, wanting to keep the audience engaged. And also a fear of, of, of not going to be prepared when I go up there. Now, let me say this. If you did not prepare for your speaking engagement, then yeah, you should have some type of <laughs> some type of fear there. You you deserve that in mm-hmm. a way because you most likely had enough time to prepare. So fear of not being prepared. But I think for a lot of us, we are prepared. We think that someone's going to ask us a question in the Q and A. We're not going to know how to answer it. Something else is going to come up that's going to make us look. Like we are not the expert. We don't know what we're talking about here. So those are just a few of the reasons that people really do have that fear of speaking in front of other people. Mm -hmm. A little bit of a imposter syndrome coming up there, especially when you're giving a speech that's supposed to be informational. Uh, I, I could see that being the case. That's a big one. Imposter syndrome. I I've actually had some women say that to me when they schedule a discovery call. And one of the questions on the survey is, you know, what are you struggling with? What do you need help with? And some will admit I struggle with imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. And these are women who a lot of them, they are accomplished. They are working in corporate and yet they still feel like I'm going to be found out or or something like that. They're going to find out I don't really know what I'm talking about or I'm some kind of fraud up here, which, again, it couldn't be further from the truth. Our mind really does play tricks on us. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to say that mindset is very important. Thoughts come at us. A million thoughts come at us each day. Some of them we are conscious of. We black off some of them that are negative and totally inaccurate. We just let them seep into our brain and we take them as truths when really you really do have to to be conscious of the thoughts that you're accepting of that come at us every day. So it's it's really guarding your mind. 
That you're you're so right about the pressures that I, I've seen women put on themselves, in, especially in a corporate environment. I feel like, I mean, in the past couple of years, there's been a, a, a big lesson learned and a, a lesson that we're continuing to learn. But the amount of added pressure that women have on themselves in the corporate workplace to be perfect because they're afraid that they're not going to get the opportunities and the opportunities that they do get. They, they, they put so much pressure on themselves to not squander. And so, yeah, that, that has been certainly, I, I noticed that in my coworkers and my fiance. And, and so, yeah, that's something to be aware of and something to strive towards improving to making women feel like this is not going to be a one-time shot, right? So it takes the pressure off because it's ludicrous to expect that you would only get one shot to like try something like that or, or to, to speak your mind. Exactly. Exactly. Everything you just said there. And I saw something, well, I read something that was pretty interesting a few months ago. And I don't, I have to do a bit more research on this, but it was saying that more women are afraid than men of public speaking. I couldn't really substantiate that. Not the way I wanted to. I put it like that. I really need to get some, some real information or evidence on it to support that. But I know that one reason that they gave is that more men talking about in corporate here and work, men, you know, even going decades past have had more opportunities in general to do public speaking. You know, men were the ones who were in the workforce. They were the providers for their home. Not all women were working. So public speaking was almost normal for most men to do. And We've seen in the last few decades, obviously, more women in the workforce, women in corporate, C-suite level jobs, and obviously, they have to do more presentations the higher that you get. So, obviously, we're looking at things in the aggregate on the whole. Not everybody, not every woman is fearful of public speaking or has imposter syndrome, but I just thought that was interesting. And there may be some truth to that. More men in general have had more opportunities to do public speaking. So, again, it... I think it also goes back to just that. It's just having opportunities to speak because the more you do something, the better you will become. The more practice you put into it, it starts to become like second nature. I do like the idea of what Rokita was saying about the audience isn't against you, right? It's, it's, they want the information that you have for them. And in your case, like that's especially true because you're, they're, at the at the core, just trying to come up with ways to to help babies, you know, help, like help figure out what what the best course of action would be. Yeah, I feel like certain it depends on what your certain audiences are different than others, and what whichever way you're doing public speaking, though. Oh yeah. Where I do feel like our audience is judging us, though, when, when I do my presentations. Yeah, because they're like, Maybe oh, you should have like done this. I mean, because everyone has their own opinion. Yeah, in a, in a medical way, though, too, because there's also like. You can have your own medical opinion, but there could be five different right opinions. Mm, that's true. About one thing. That's true. There's but, not always one. I mean, even if you think of like a stomach ache, there's not just like one way to like help a stomach ache, right? Like it, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. That's funny though. But in unlike certain when you're doing like like your improv and stuff, like the audience is there to have fun. They're not there to judge you. And it's it I feel like it depends on the situation but maybe they're not judging i guess they're more trying to get the right information out there it just feels like that yeah absolutely yeah well i mean 
you know, the, the pressure differences. And it, one is like, could be literally life and death. And the other one is like a couple assholes on stage and you paid five bucks, you know? <laughs> yeah. But I also, I, I like the idea and the messaging of when you're up there public speaking that you shouldn't expect to be perfect, right? Like no one gives a perfect speech and it's kind of, I don't know, I find myself in that, in that line of thinking, like, especially when I was doing like the cheddar videos and, and stuff like that, that I had to deliver perfectly and have like every mannerism or talking with my hands being perfect. And it's just a nice reminder. Like, I don't know if I'll ever get to that place where I'll be okay with that, with not being perfect, but it is a nice reminder that like people want to see a person speaking. Well, I think being okay with the imperfection makes it a better presenter. Yeah, because like you, if you can just stumble over what you said and move on instead of like, I don't know, freaking out about it, it flows a little nicer. That's true. And you, you can make like a joke like, well, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. <laughs> just, and people, yeah, people will root for you a bit harder, especially if you're just like, oh, I don't know what happened there. <laughs> yeah, but I feel like you have to be able to do that. What do you, you don't think that you're able to do that? I think I just come off awkward. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well they like uh, yeah i guess these doctors should probably lean in with like the big like round of applause but like colleen we love you <laughs> that's i mean that's the difference of of like you're saying about like an improv audience versus what you're up against i mean not that you're up against but like who yeah, you're presenting just, to it's a different type of public speaking i guess yeah yeah it's that like you know, I can, the audience is paying to be there and wants comedy. They want something good, right? Like, whereas there, you know, there is, um, I'm trying to think of any other public, but there is like conferences that we present at where it's more like that, where everyone's there just to like learn something new and hear what you have to say. It's a different type of presentation where people do clap and, you know, it's oh, okay. Not, I'm trying to think of other ways that I've done it. In that setting, it's definitely different. Yeah. But what about, do you ever have moments where, okay, something's going wrong with a, a baby and someone comes in and is like, okay, I need you to get me up to date. And you're like, okay, um, this, right. The checklist of like vitals or something like that. Like, here's where we are kind of thing. Yeah. Like presenting like the patient. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that's nerve wracking too. Cause that's just like in the moment and you want to make sure you hand off like everything that's important. Well, I don't really ever hand it off but I mean in the when you're doing it it's kind of like you know um, what's important and what they want to know and what you need from them that's really the that I find easier I guess okay well that's I mean number one that's very comforting number two this is a further proof that I've watched too much television that is like <laughs> I'm just like imagining ER it's like somebody get me up to date on this patient <laughs> yeah we so I guess it depends on, yeah, but like when you walk into like a crazy delivery where there's, I feel like usually I'm more the, the one asking for the information, like what, what, how did this start? Like, where do you, and then we go from there and try and fix whatever was wrong. But if you call for extra help, you kind of know why you're calling for it. So you, it's easy right. to present what the issues are that you need help with. Got it. So you're not like in the delivery room, like just in case you're like, all right, we need Colleen to come in and um, help. both, both. Okay. So if it's, if it's a just in case thing, we kind of get all the information from nurses about the mom and the baby that's not born yet. 
Mm. If it's after the fact, then it's more like you kind of run in there and you're like, okay, what, how, what precipitated this? What happened before this? And there's like, I'm just here you know, now. Give me the info. Yeah. <laughs> there's like five, you know, there's like main questions that you want to know. Okay. Is it breathing? Is it, is it yeah. We'll start <laughs> <Yeah>. there. <laughs> what were your thoughts on Rakita was talking about imposter syndrome, which you mentioned in the beginning, but also like the pressure that women may feel. Do you think that that's something that you feel and that you felt added pressure as a woman? In my profession, I, I understand how that is a thing with a lot of different ones, but I feel like the there's a lot of really strong women that do what we do mm-hmm. and they kind of laid the groundwork where like, it's definitely a mixture of men and women that even the head doctors, mm-hmm. but um, I feel like the women are treated the same as the men in our field. I don't, there's like every now and then you'll hear them say like, Oh, of course, well, he's, you know, he's a man, but like, yeah, for the most part, like a woman doing a presentation versus a guy or teaching anyone about a topic like I feel I think they're treated equally in my job That's... but I, I do see what she's saying in certain jobs yeah well cross that right off the list the the first job without misogyny right there <laughs> the medical profession. I mean mild I guess but I think for the most part there's I feel like the women that do neonatology mm-hmm. are stronger women they're, that's just maybe the personality for that job I don't know yeah it's true because there's no time for bullshit right like you no matter what like anyone in that profession like regardless of gender has to just be like i block everything out we got to focus on on the task at hand yeah yeah well that's great well cool i think it's a good time to go to the second clip where rokita starts giving some ideas for how to improve 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 your public speaking see how i rolled with that yeah see yeah very nice (laughs) What makes a good public speaker? Good public, well, public speaking in general, content, delivery, structure. I would say those are the three bedrock mm-hmm. elements, the foundation of public speaking. So a good public speaker, you're going to take from those different areas. The content for one, like I said, what content needs to go in here? What's the core message? That's the first thing I like to establish with my client, because a lot of them will have something in general, maybe a nebulous idea about what I need to talk about. But if you don't know what the one message is that you need to hit, you're going to go in every direction. And this is not going to support the bottom line message. And you're going to confuse the audience. You're going to ramble. You're going to go off track. No one's going to know what you're saying. So (laughs) content and that when we talk about that content is very key. What do we need to put in this presentation? When we talk about delivery, how, how, are, we, how are we looking at our verbal and our nonverbal, aka body language? That is important there. So how do we, how do we engage the audience with our words? Vocal variety in that sense. And then our body how our stage presence is when we actually own the stage, when we pace the stage, are you just standing still? Are you using gestures? Things like that all come in delivery. The structure of the presentation, you can have the best content in the world, but it does need to have order. It needs to have a logical flow to it. The audience needs to be able to follow you easily. 
So that's really what makes a good public speaker. A lot of things fit, almost everything, quite honestly, fits into those three boxes. When we talk about engagement, because that's a big, big thing with the audience, how do I engage my audience? How do I interact with them? A lot of that will fall under delivery. Your content, how do I manage my nervousness? We will talk about that. I'll give you a few techniques for that too. Something's gonna work for you. Not every suggestion that I give when it comes to managing nerves may work, but something's gonna work for you. So I just wanted to add that there. That's great. I feel bad for people who are listening to this and, and not seeing how you're delivering everything that you've been saying to me, because there's a corresponding ha- hand movement. You're using your smile. You're you're changing how your facial expression is. It's incredible. It's, it's incredibly engaging how you're speaking right now. So I just want people to kind of get a feel for how you just said that because it was it was incredibly charming. That was that was wonderful. Thank you for all the information. You kind of led me right to my next question, which is, this is a podcast about anxiety and mental health and trying to make things a little less scary where possible. So I think at the the end of the day, people understand, all right, if I'm prepared, we go through these coaching sessions, you know, I'm going to be ready. I'm going to be feeling good. I get out there and I, uh, I, I, I stumble, right? Like that could always happen. Do you have tips for people, I, I, I guess, for just generally releasing their their anxiety or alleviating their anxiety? And, and what or and then maybe something that they could do in a worst case scenario where they they come out of the gate stumbling and their confidence is shot. I do. So I have a few tips that will help people to manage the nervousness. And if you notice my wording just now, I said manage nervousness. I didn't say eliminate nervousness. (laughs) Why? Because even the best speakers, the top speakers in the world, they'll tell you they still feel a little bit of nervousness, that little, you know, that tensing up slightly or the butterfly in your body and your stomach right before they hit the stage. So nerves are for everybody. Yeah. We'll make that a slow. Nerves are for everybody, but it's how you manage them because we so often think about nerves in a negative way. But you know what? Nerves can also be a good thing. It depends on how you think about them. It's it's so true. (laughs) Just to jump in real quick. I've been performing for more than 10 years on stages and I used to be afraid of and that nerve. And now I I want that feeling. I, I want. I want, it's like a drug. It's a very positive rush of adrenaline. So yeah, I just wanted to back up what you were saying to people like, I was scared as hell. And now I look forward to getting on stage. You just feel alive. So yes, I'm sorry. Yeah. You feel alive. That's exactly what I tell my clients. I'm like, if you actually don't feel at least a little bit of nervous, I'm not talking about full-blown paralysis, but a little bit of nerves, still a couple butterflies in your stomach then I probably would worry about you. (laughs) When you are at least a little nervous, that shows that you really do care about your presentation, about your public speaking performance. So we don't want to think that nerves are bad or you should not have any. No, no. That means that you do care about what you're about to speak to this audience about. Also, nerves 
Nerves and excitement are really the same sensation in your body, if you think about it. That, that tingling that we feel when we're excited about something, and then also that, that tingling we feel when we're a little nervous, it really is the same sensation. So I like to tell my clients to, to channel it differently. I'm not going to think about nerves in a negative way that I'm going to trip up here. I'm not going to do well because I'm nervous. No, I'm going to think about nerves as I'm excited to speak to my audience. These are my friends here. That's another tech that you can use. Think of the audience as friends here. I'm excited to add value to them today. I have something important to tell them. So you want to channel that nervousness into excitement. When we start getting nerves, it's usually that stress hormone, it's cortisol that starts coursing through our veins. But if we think about it in a positive sense, it really can help the positive endorphins that happen, the the dopamine and all that stuff. So it really is a mind thing. Like how they say it's, it's all mental, you know, we used to hear that when we were growing up. It's all mental. I didn't get that when I was a kid, but when I got an adult, got to be an adult, then I understood what they mean. It really does start with your mentality about everything. So mindset is the first thing that I teach my clients, aside from being prepared, like you said, because you got to be prepared first. Then it's mindset. How do you think about it? Don't think that the audience is here to waste their time, like we touched upon earlier. They are here to see you. They're excited to see you. They want to get the value that you have for them. But other ways that I also teach my clients, and this is before they hit the stage, if you feel like you need to, to do something to calm yourself, one technique is called sense memory. I don't know if you heard of that, Patrick, sense memory. No, I haven't. Okay. So this is a tactic that is is often used by actors. Some actors were trained in this. Like it's it's not a brand new technique, but speakers can also use it as well. It's when you recall an experience that you've had before in which you want to exhibit the same quality to the audience that you had in that experience before. So here's an example. When I won the Toastmasters because I'm a I'm a lifelong Toastmaster. I don't know if you've heard of that organization, but public speaking and leadership organization. So when I competed in the humor speech contest for my district in 2014, so it was eight of us competing for the number one, the number one winner spot for that year. I won out of eight people competing on the stage Congratulations. For, for the humorous contest. So that's one that's one memory that I will call back to. Why? Because that was a time where I felt confident on the stage. I felt like I owned that stage and I was funny, like naturally funny, not that forced humor stuff. So mm. that's a moment where I'm going to recall that experience because I may I want to exhibit the same qualities to the audience I'm speaking to right now. I want to show them how confident and calm I'm up here, how I own the stage effortlessly, and how I am funny. So that's an example of sense memory, recalling back an experience where you want to exhibit the same quality to this audience that you had before. Another tactic that you can use is visualization, which you probably heard of, of that. Visualization is pretty common with people, but visualization is simply, 
it's simply rehearsing mental images in your mind. It's you seeing, it's seeing yourself having or doing whatever it is that you want in that moment. In this example, having a successful presentation. So you're literally going to walk yourself through everything that you see happening, leading up to that presentation at the presentation. You would want to sit in a comfortable chair. You'd want to be in a quiet space. You want to close your eyes and you literally want to walk yourself through what that successful presentation day of looks like. I think about, for example, if I'm waking up in the morning and I'm feeling excited about the presentation, I'm excited to speak to this audience. I'm driving down the road to to the hotel conference room and my favorite song comes on the radio, which makes me feel even happier. I'm at the hotel conference room and I'm looking around at all these seats set out for the people who will soon be here to hear me speak. I see myself on the stage. My body gestures are on point. My vocals are <laughs> flawless. I get a standing ovation. That's all visualization. It's literally walking yourself through what you see yourself having or doing. And here's the funny thing. The brain cannot distinguish between what is real and what is imagined. There is scientific research to back up visualization. So it's not all some some hokey, hokey stuff. There is some real evidence to back it up. Incredible. Yeah, I mean, just watching you go through all of that, it got me confident, me being like, yeah, like I could do this. <laughs> but it's so true. I, I remember back, you know, this is a long time ago, but back when I was an athlete, I would do that and run through. I was a, a, a goalie in hockey and I would run through scenarios in my mind. And when I did that, I felt calmer and and I was definitely more successful. So I think that that applies to, I don't know, building something, thinking you're going to be able to do whatever. It really is very powerful. So it's great that you have a, a bunch of tricks and it sounds like you really can help out people feel a bit more comfortable up there. Absolutely. And just to answer your question about what do you do once you're actually there on the stage, because I don't want to forget that you asked that as well. One thing to always bring on the stage with you, I don't care if you are the best speaker in the world, but especially if you are a newer speaker, it is okay to bring an outline to the stage with you, an outline of your speech, you know, maybe some note cards with a few of the major points on, on each bullet card, not a whole word for word of your speech printed, but the major parts of, of your speech and outline of it, have it placed nearby on a table or on a podium. If you absolutely blink out, first of all, don't get flustered. Don't make a big deal out of it. You can calmly refer to your notes and just go back, pick back up where you left off. The audience is very forgiving. Most people don't want to be in a stage themselves. <laughs> so they are very forgiving. So if you really do have a mind blank, don't get flustered. Don't make a big deal out of it. Let the audience know, hey, I just, I got too excited for a moment here. So apparently I, I need to just go and, and get my place back again so I can c- continue on. Just, just get a laugh. keep going with it. People keep going with, with it. Yeah. They'll be, they'll be with you. 
Look who we got here. It's our friends at My Software Tutor. Can Excel be my friend? Many people have wondered this for years. The answer is yes, it can. Excel doesn't have to be like the friend that your mom makes you hang out with in elementary school. It's weird. Always stuff with boogers, right? What's wrong? What's up? Why is that kid always eating boogers? Their house always had the best snacks, too. And there he is. Boogers. Well, Excel doesn't have to be like that weird kid. Unless you were that weird kid. Were you? Be honest. You know. I'm not actually asking. I can't hear your response, but you know. And it's okay if you were. You know, just take it easy with the boogers. <laughs> just talking about boogers to Oregon Ad Read. Uh, don't worry. This is They didn't write this that part. That was a, an improvisation. My Software Tutor offers three levels of real-time Zoom-based courses with a live instructor. They deliver practical, functional business skills in a friendly and supportive environment. It can be daunting, right? You, you need that supporting environment to learn Excel. There's no stupid questions. It could be really difficult. And as we know, and we talk about it on this podcast all the time, it could be really daunting to learn something new and put yourself out there. So think of this as like a, a kindergarten for learning something new and, and helping your job prospects. Or be better at the job you already have. Get that raise. Get that whatever. Take pictures of it for Instagram. Yeah, that'll be cool. <laughs> Keeping it as vague as possible so that you can input your own. Just just making a mad lib of, of your own desires. These courses will increase your marketability, whether you're an employee, job seeker, consultant, or contractor. Register at mysoftwaretutor.com and use the promo code POD20 to save 20% off all registrations. Thank you so much to my software tutor. Yeah, guys, take advantage of that 20% off and confidently list Excel on your resume. So the morning that you know you have a presentation to the angry doctor group, what uh, what are you doing to help yourself, right? Rokita has this idea of, of how people can help themselves, but I'm curious what, what your routine is it, uh, it looks like. Uh, panic. <laughs> Just panic all day and then continue to panic. While <laughs> Reread you're... my presentation over and over, I guess. <laughs> okay. I think that's good. I mean, that's, that makes sense, right? To reread it, uh, having that memory of like, okay, especially if you get lost, right? Like by rereading it, I don't know how your memory works, but like sometimes I can like actually see the words on the page. If yeah, it's like to... photographic. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So that's got to be helpful. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> You're like living in the stress of that moment right I... now. Just like. <laughs> <laughs> so what? what is your brain going through at that point? Is it, oh, man, I'm going to fuck this up. I'm going to, they're going to know I'm an idiot. I mean, this is your mind. I'm not saying okay, yeah. it's just like you're being mean to yourself. Yeah, I definitely don't get excited. It's mm -hmm. more, it's definitely all nerves and just wanted it to be over. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I understand that feeling. I mean, and and has it been any different at the times you've presented at like the conferences where you're saying people are applauding? The conferences is a different feel, I guess, because it's more like people who want to, not that you don't want to be, I mean, no one really wants to be at work, but the conferences are like all voluntary people are coming there to. To learn and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a little bit lighter, I guess. Okay. So you don't feel like in that moment that it's as heavy, like you're able to enjoy it a little bit more? Yeah. Like the last one that I did was not the conference, last presentation I had to do. I did it with someone. It was on a Zoom 
and I was trying to like get our PowerPoint ready and get everything mad. And then somehow I interrupted one of the attending surgeons PowerPoints as I was trying to add mine on. They're like, what just happened here? And we were like, shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just, just like the surgeons are so like, I don't know. The surgeons are definitely the most pompous doctors. Oh, and when you yeah. do those presentations, you're presenting to like our whole unit and then all of surgery and then also maternal medicine. So it's like the mother doctors, the baby doctors, the surgeons, and it's like a big group of people. Mm. Um, but that one was, that sucked, but it was on zoom. So it wasn't as I mean, scary, I guess. It's like the, the least, what did it interrupt for 13 seconds? Like, I know, but he wasn't happy. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Surgeon, like surgeons just feel like, like a star overpaid athlete, just like, <laughs> I'm walking, I'm the big guy here, right? You want to yeah, clean remove, you got to come to me. Yeah, they're definitely, they have a different mindset. Mm. Yeah, well, I'm sorry that that happened because that's kind of crazy. It's like, oh, sorry, the problem solved, right? <laughs> well, so then what did you think about what she was saying about like trying to like channel the nerves towards excitement? Because like how it like resonates in your body, it's pretty similar right anxiety and excitement kind of feel the same do you think that that's something that you could potentially start using yeah i mean i would like to yeah i feel like it doesn't change i feel like after i'm done with it then it changes to excitement that, that i'm done with it and i did it and it went well and mm-hmm. those nerves kind of like shift i don't know if i could do it before but i mean that would be nice yeah well i guess maybe even like recalling the memory of like every time you've been successful and been like using that that feeling that you're describing right now of like oh yeah usually after these things for the most part i feel great and i feel excited so it's like i'm gonna nail it like i've nailed it a bunch of times and just recalling that feeling in the beginning yeah i think if i did it more frequently we do it like Mm. a couple times a year or something but i guess the recall thing is a good idea. <laughs> yeah. And I know, yeah, I, I definitely think that that is something interesting for you to try, but even, you know, I, I perform here at theater 99 and when I'm like going out to ask the audience a question, I'm like usually really excited. Like when I walk out on the stage and then when I start talking, the floor drops out and, and like, I get really nervous, but then it like builds back up. I, I always go through that like roller coaster, and I know I'll be here right? I'll, I'll, I'll get excited and I'll, I'll feel confident, but there's just like the first word that comes out of my mouth every time I'm like, fuck, I'm an idiot. I screwed it up. Like, I don't know why it still has that like turmoil, but it's also, I'm going to be very honest. It's kind of like a drug, like that drop. And then like the pick back up, it just feels great. Well, you must like it doing what you do. Yes. (laughs) You never really seem nervous though, when you get up there. You know, that's the interesting thing. People say that, like, I feel so nervous, but like, everyone's like, oh, you look so like calm up there. And it's like, wow, you know, my sweat says otherwise. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think it's a good time to go to the third clip, which is where we get some help about like ums and ahs and what it's like to work with a, a public speaking coach. Hey, do you wish you were a thoughtful card person but don't have the time or energy, right? You want to be that person that has a hobby, full-time job, crushing it in the job, has kids, has a family, has a dog, whatever it is, and still, right, sends that message, sends a card, handwritten, something that makes you laugh and cry. 
How does that person do it? I don't know. But maybe it's Cardist. Maybe he's born with it. Maybe it's Cardist. <laughs> the Cardist Studio is your personal assistant. That's how you get it done, right? Somebody helps you out with it. That's okay. The end result is still the end result. You're thinking, oh, should I send them a card? That's it. From there, you just jump onto thecardiststudio.com and tell them exactly what just popped in your head. Your thoughtfulness. The Cardist Studio will get your personalized message handwritten into the card and in the mail for you. You're busy. You're doing a lot of other things. You know, it's not like they're going to tell on you. And the person's going to be thrilled. I've gotten one of these and it filled my heart with joy. Even better, it's fast, it's custom, and it's a total life changer. Hey, you're a thoughtful card person now. Look at you. New achievement unlocked. Just go to thecardiststudio.com and you can even use the promo code ANXIETYPOD for 10% off all orders. The women who come to me, I do have them fill out a consultation. For a consultation call, they answer a few questions online on my website. So that at least gives me an idea of where they're struggling with. And I can get into more detail with them when I actually have the conversation with them. That's also good because if they're coming to me with something related to public speaking or presentation skills, that's not really in my wheelhouse, then I can refer them to someone else who I know would be better. For example, if you're saying, well, I want to do a TEDx talk coming up soon in my town, and I want to prepare for that. I haven't done a TEDx talk yet myself. TED talks are a whole different category in and of themselves. It's public speaking, but it's a whole different category. And there are coaches who deal specifically with that. So having them fill out the survey gives me an idea of what they need help with. It also gives me an idea of what their goals are. What do they want to do with their public speaking exactly? It's rare for someone to just say, I just decided to take public speaking just to feel more comfortable. Yes, that would be great if that happens because we can all be better at this skill. But they usually have some particular reason that that they are asking. And then it lets me know also how ready they are to start working with the coach on my, on my survey. You know, I ask them just to rate themselves one to five, how ready they are. And then once we get on the actual phone call, which is 30 minutes at the most, I can dig in a little deeper with them to find out what is the crux of the issues? What are they really struggling with? And once I decide that, okay, this would be a good coaching client relationship. This is someone who I can help. Then at that point, really the ball is in their court if they want to make the investment and if they would like to start working with me. I give them two ways they can work with me if they want to do what's called a presentation intensive, where it's kind of like, oh, I'm having a presentation coming up quickly and I need to work on this. Mm -hmm. They're most likely not somebody who's new to it, but they can work with me in that way. And that's just four hours of us together. And then there's also a 12 week coaching package. Obviously, that's for someone who needs a lot more help. But before we even start working together, I'm going to establish your goals. What is it specifically? I want you to give me a couple goals that you really want to hit during our time together. You cannot tell me five and six goals. Because even during the course of 12 weeks, you need to focus on a couple things that you really want to hit. Of course, during our time together, we're going to be able to hit a lot of other things in the process that you probably wanted to work on. 
but it really is client driven. Coaching is a little bit different from consulting. Consulting, you bringing me in, I'm telling you what you need to do. Mm-hmm. Coaching, I am still going to tell you what you need to do to get where you want to be, but this really is a partnership. Mm-hmm. I am letting you set the end goal here. I'm going to show you how to get there. I'm going to show you the tools, the methodologies, the formulas, the structures, everything that you need to get there. So I really am, I'm very particular about who I work with, in particular about the goals that they set, because I want to make sure that they do reach their goals. So a lot of it is driven by them, the end goal, but I'm going to show you how to get there. I'm terrible at times, my like, uhs, and ums. Is that just something that I should be focusing on at all times and, and not let ever drop from the forefront of my mind? Or how do I improve uh, that as I do it again? Um, I I guess I'll call it mistake or or bad habit probably is a better way to describe it. Here's the thing, like with, I think most things in life, it's all about moderation or frequency. Dropping an occasional um or uh is is not going to kill you. The audience is not going to get up and leave and that's not going to happen. During this interview, I'm sure I said um or uh probably a couple times. The problem is when you say these filler words so often that they are hindering the audience from hearing your message. That's when there's an issue. And sometimes we don't know it's an issue unless someone tells us or we watch the recording of our speech. If you are self-aware, that's great. There are some people that are, but for others, you really might need someone to tell you or you might need to watch the evidence yourself. So what happens with crutch words? I call them crutch words or filler words. Why do we use them for one Aren't a lot of people uncomfortable with silence, it seems. Mm -hmm. They are uncomfortable with any lulls in a conversation. Anything that that they're saying, like they feel like I need to fill this space with something. And that's where the ums, the us, the so's, the long so's or the long and, that's when those come in. People are not comfortable with silence. So that's really the first reason why someone would use it in the first place when really it's about pausing. And that's what I tell people. They're looking for a magic pill. And I tell them, no, you don't want a pill. The P that you want to use is called pause. You just need to pause for a second after you finish saying the the last phrase, the last thought that you have there and you're trying to gather yourself to figure out what it is that you need to say next, that you wanted to say next, pause for a second. It is not going to kill you. And you will pick right up. You'd be surprised. Plus, the audience might think that the pause is intentional. You could look like you really are in deep thought. And that's another trick. If you really do lose your space and you you don't want to say the crutch word, you know, pace the stage for a moment and appear to be in deep thought. The audience won't be the wiser. And then you can pick right up without using a crutch word. Another reason that we may use crutch words 
it's our minds racing so fast ahead of our mouth. <laughs> That's how I like to call it. You got the thought in your head. I do know what I want to say. I didn't forget. I know what I want to say, but it's just like a rush, rush, rush. There's some kind of disconnect there with your mind and your mouth. Something is racing and it's most likely your thoughts. So you just need to actually calm yourself down, calm your speech down, slow it down a little, give yourself a moment and then go on to your next thought. It's just that we want to fill it with something. We want to fill that space there. Pausing is very effective to help prevent these filler words. That's great advice. I also think that giving a pause allows the audience a moment to absorb your point and and breathe it in and 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 catch up with you for a second. You know, that's not such a bad thing for them to just have a minute. Uh, you know, they, they see you taking a pause and it allows their brains to reset a bit because at times I've seen public speakers kind of throw too much information at once and not understand that the audience doesn't have the same expertise and, and needs a little bit of a slower pace or some time to digest. Absolutely. I love that you brought that up. Pauses do serve their purpose. They they really do. And you gave one great example. One reason that you would want to use a pause is, especially after you've asked the audience a question or you've said something very thought-provoking, where you really should want the audience to marinate on it a bit, you need to pause after you ask that question or after you say that poignant phrase, that thought. Pause. Let them take in what you just said. Don't immediately step on your thoughts is what I call it. When you're trying to go from one part to the other really fast, it's like you're, you're trampling on your thoughts a bit. No, no, no. Give them time to really absorb what you have just said. After all, you put this speech together. There are going to be certain points that you do want to stick with the audience. And how can they do that? If you let them. If you give them a moment to think about it. But again, people usually don't because quiet can be uncomfortable for some speakers. But the more you speak, the more you will get out of that. But pausing is effective to let people absorb what you have just said. Pausing is very effective. Also, when you need to get the audience's attention back, that silence there Some people don't think about that. When you see the audience starting to drift off, they look like they're becoming distracted, they're looking at their phones, there may even be conversations that are starting to happen at at the tables. Let's just say you're in some type of room where there are tables of people they're listening to you, see conversations starting to, to sprinkle around the room. Instead of what a lot of people do is they may try to keep calling back the audience like, hey, we're going to start, we're going to start, pause, pause. That's an easy way to get people back into you, the focus into you. It sounds counterintuitive, but if we be quiet for a moment, if we're quiet, the audience's attention will be directed back towards us and they will start to pay attention to what we are saying because they're going to wonder why you stopped speaking. Mm -hmm. They heard you speaking all this time, probably weren't paying attention, but the fact that you paused 
and you pause long enough to get their attention, that's good. That can bring them back in. Absolutely. You just paused and I felt a shift in my brain. Just try to pay attention to you more where it was just like, oh, like just something that was going on in my subconscious of like, oh, no, she needs more. She needs more of my my listening here. What's happening? So, yeah, I think it's definitely effective. This has been an incredible conversation. I just want to make sure, is there anything you think I'm missing? Anything that I may have left out that you think is important for people to know? Tell people to get the help that they need if they feel like it's really a problem. There is somebody out here who can help you with almost any issue on this earth, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's an expert for everything. So I would say... If you feel like I I really do need to improve my public speaking and presentation skills and you've tried a college course, because having most of us, if we went to college, we we probably had a course and that course is 20 years ago and you were done with it. So even if it's a course or another course that you take or maybe it's videos, because some people will start watching a bunch of videos on YouTube for tips. But if that is not getting you where you need to be, because that can be a good start, then you may want to explore actually getting a professional to help you. And like I said, everybody is different. They have a different focus that they want to get better with, whether it's a TED Talk or you are someone in a professional environment. Just find a coach, find a trainer who is best for you. It's going to help you in leaps and bounds than you struggling yourself to figure out a plan that's going to help you. So that's Perfect. my, that's my recommendation. That's the best, that's the best advice. Yeah. I think that's a, that is the theme of this podcast is that you don't have to do anything on your own. There are experts out there and and we can make the world an easier, less scary place. If we just acknowledge and, and reach out to the people who are capable of, of helping us. Yes, totally cool. agree. How uh, how can people get a hold of you if they would like to work with you? And and I, I think, you know, if you have a website or, or social media you'd like to mention, I, I'm sure people will like to uh, get a hold of you. Yeah, so my website is rokitajohnson.com. So just my name. I am also very active on Instagram at rokitajohnson underscore public speaking. I am also on LinkedIn if anyone would like to connect with me. My name is spelled R-O-Q-U-I-T-A. So Rokita Johnson. As far as I know, I'm the only Rokita Johnson on there. So that's the good part. You can easily (laughs) find me. (laughs) I also have a YouTube page, again, under my name, Rokita Johnson, where I have a lot of videos there. If you'd like to check out some tips. They are there. If you go to my website as well, I also have a a freebie for anyone that signs up for my email list. It's more so geared towards women, but definitely if you want a freebie on how you can start improving your public speaking skills each day over 30 days, because that's what the focus of that freebie is. Maybe you just need to start somewhere. You can sign up for my email list and that freebie will be sent right to you. Incredible. Yeah. And you also have a book that you've, you've written. Tell me about the book. Yes. So I am a co-author of Speak Up, The Ultimate Guide to Dominate in the Speaking Industry. It is myself, along with 30 other experts in the public speaking field. 
So this book is great if you are an aspiring, emerging, or current speaker, and you really are serious about the speaking industry. I'm going to tell you about a keynote speech, what goes into that, but also the tips are good for any type of speech that I give in my chapter. There's another person who's going to talk to you about what you should have on your speaker website. Someone else is going to tell you what you need to have as far as public relations, media, and all that so that you can really get visibility, get yourself out there. Someone else is going to talk about things for your speaking business, like insurance and all those other things that we don't want to think about, but we do need to think about. So it really is, it's just a wealth of knowledge from all, all the different authors who we are in public speaking, but we have different specialties. So that book is out. It's through the Black Speakers Network. That's who did, did this book. We're all a part of that. And yeah, it's great. It's on Amazon. You can also get the book on my website as well if you want a personally signed copy. If you go to Amazon, I can help you there with the personally signed copy. But if you go to my website, <laughs> I can send it to you. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for all that. And thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much, Patrick. The like, ums, and ahs. I mean, so... When whenever the guest of this podcast is okay with using the video, I just like run the video out on YouTube. But for the audio versions, I go through and I clean up some of the likes, uhs, and ums. And it's made me, I guess it's been helpful for me as a public speaker to like listen to myself. But it's crazy how many people have like a big problem with that. Is that something that you have an issue with? I don't, I don't know. I feel like I'd have to listen to myself. I'll let more. you know when I edit. Once that. you're once you're aware of it, then I feel like it's all you hear. It you're is listening to someone speak, and you mm -hmm. start, like you said, listening and counting it and trying to clean it up. You realize how much some people actually say it. Yeah, like if I'm listening to a podcast or you know times that I've gone to conferences, if people are doing that too much. I, I've I've heard nothing you've said. You can't focus on anything. Else. I can't focus on anything else. Yeah, it's it's as if they're just like every once in a while, like putting nails on a chalkboard. It begins to like start to hurt. Yeah, when you when you become aware of it, it definitely does. Yeah, but I think like it's a good reminder to just be silent. You know, you can you can just sit there for a second and collect your thoughts, and it's not like people are like as I said, like four times in the sentence, uh, <laughs> just, well, more, give me more information. You know, if you're just like, and I'm going to continue with my next thought, it, it seems polished and, and Rokita makes some good points where it's like, you're, you seem like you're deep in thought or you seem like you're giving them a chance to breathe in what you're saying, you know? Yeah, definitely. I'm curious your thoughts on, on pauses. Do you feel that that's something that you could bring to your public speaking? I think it's definitely a good tip mm -hmm. if you're caught up in something that you're reading or presenting. And instead of, like you said, just the drawn out words, just pausing for a second, letting everything you said sink in or taking a moment to move on, it probably mm -hmm. sounds better than trying to fill it with a, like um right like yeah definitely 
definitely sounds more educated, I think, than using it does. I, I, yeah, I think so too, even though I am incapable of doing it. Though I do it sometimes on the stage, if especially in improv or sometimes in sketch where you're supposed to have your lines remembered, but you can use it to like comedic effect where you're just like, and the tension builds, right? And people, people are like, wait, what is happening? Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) just use it uh, to your advantage. When you, when you're up there, do you have the, are you reading the full speech or are you, do you have like note cards or what, what do you have with you? Sometimes it's PowerPoint that you're reading off of. Sometimes you're reading off your own note cards about a case. Like if you're doing a case presentation, usually there's a PowerPoint that goes with it though, even if that's the case, but sometimes you kind of read your own thing and then that will give you like bullet points. So it depends on the situation. Okay. But you're not like reading a full PowerPoint. Like the PowerPoint has like bullet points up there and you're like filling in the gaps. Yeah. Okay, good. I was like, I'm going to have to condemn you (laughs) because it's like whenever, I mean, even at work when someone like reads the full PowerPoint, it's like, why? What, you know, because if you, if we get the point of what you're trying to say and you know, you can feel that from us, like move on. We get, uh, yeah, you know? if there's too much information on there. It's not even worth having the PowerPoint. Exactly. It's like, why did you make that? It's yeah. just, just put a picture up of yourself and, and you know, <laughs> that's all you want here. Well, I'm curious your thoughts on working with a public speaking coach. It's, it's not something I ever thought I would do, but I, I see the value in that. I feel like I would be so awkward working with a coach. But I could see the value, right? Like I could see like it's a it's a way to get practice. Like you were saying, public speak a few times a year, right? For me, like I feel I think like... if you did it a lot, I think it would be worth it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think it would be helpful. Yeah, definitely. And even, even if it's just to catch, like you said, help you with like those filler words. I feel like that's a big thing for a lot of people. And if you have a lot, I mean, I think if you do it a lot, you probably don't have as many nerves about it as I do. But maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Yeah. I don't. Well, it's like. Cause like Kevin, he's like, he does, he presents meetings and stuff all the time. He's never nervous. He doesn't care. He just gets up. He doesn't bother him at all. Well, let's listen here. Industrial athletes. Kevin for the listeners is Colleen's uh, husband and another friend of ours from, well, your husband and another friend of mine, I guess. <laughs> from uh, he's my friend. Of, yeah. He, uh, well, I would hope he's your friend. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So I'm curious your your thoughts. I mean, this podcast is meant to make things seem a little bit less scary, but I don't think that just listening to a few clips is going to completely change. But I'm curious if if you do have any takeaways or thoughts or how your perspective has changed on, on public speaking, if at all. I mean, I think hearing the things that you might do right kind of makes you feel better. Like when she was talking in the one of the clips about visualizing what you're going to present and all that stuff and shifting the nerves to excitement would be helpful if you could do that. Yeah. I feel like you definitely could, could do that. You're certainly capable of doing that. I mean, it's just probably takes some practice, like instead of panicking the morning of like, just remembering that, okay, like I've done this before, I'll do it again and everything's going to work out and I'll go home and and say hello to, to Kevin and the kids. (laughs) <laughs> yeah I, th- I think it could help yeah yeah absolutely well Colleen I've really enjoyed this conversation it's been great doing this with 
someone I've known such a long time. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for, for coming to hang out. Thank you for having me. Of course. Great. Yeah, you nailed it. My fear of public speaking was so much worse when I was younger. I remember like high school. It'd be unthinkable. I'd be like trembling if I had to say my name when the teacher was taking attendance. <laughs> and now it sounds so bad, but I think that just comes with age where you just you stop caring, right? I'm, I'm 35. It's exhausting to be terrified about being judged about everything. You know, there's still plenty of anxiety, but... Not to not to have the degree that it used to exist, you know, you just stop caring, right? And you're like, I know, Pat, if you're watching the video, yeah, I'm looking at you. Yeah, I can tell you, you've given up. <laughs> well, before I get to the weird thing that was causing me anxiety this week, I want to thank Colleen for coming on. I know she was pretty anxious and hasn't really done anything like this, so that's awesome, pushing past you know, your, your fears and, and thank you for doing that. And thank you to Rakita for providing such great insight and, and ways that people can help improve how they, how they speak publicly. And that's all great stuff. So yeah, thank you to both guests. Did I add syllables? It sounds like I did. I don't know. So I don't know why. Quick reminder that if you're liking the show and you want to support it and support me, there's the buy me a coffee link. It's a way of uh, making a donation to the show to help me keep it going. If you're looking to sign up for Instacart, you can do so through the link in the description. By doing it that way, you're telling Instacart this show sent you, which also helps support the show. You can also check out my software tutor. There's the link in the description there, and, and you can use the promo code POD20 to get 20% off. And finally, there's the Carta Studio with the promo code ANXIETYPOD for 10% off. Now, okay, the weird thing that was causing me anxiety this week was coming up. It's Jamie's birthday. <sighs> it's tough. It's, you know, it's tough to, you want to make your significant other feel special and, and happy and do something fun, maybe some spontaneity. But yeah, it, it's just, I, I did like the, the heavy ordering and planning and all that stuff over this weekend and, you know, fingers crossed. <laughs> no, I, I think I, I think I nailed it. Just simple. I mean, I rented a boat out of downtown Charleston and we're going to be able to drive around for four hours. I mean, that, that should do it, right? That, that sounds like a good day to me. Got her some good stuff. I mean, I can't say it in case she's standing outside the door, which is what my anxiety thinks uh, is occurring. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'll let you know how I did. But yeah, that was causing me anxiety all week and, and months before. Yeah, it starts creeping in around March when I'm like, oh, her birthday's in August. I better start planning. <laughs> As soon as it's over, the anxiety can kick in for the holidays, for Christmas. It never takes a break. Well, as always, thank you so, so much for listening. Have a great week, and I'll talk to you on Thursday. Bye.